Welcome to today's message, The Priority of Jesus When We're Overwhelmed. First section, Overwhelmed and Overlooking. Do you get feeling overwhelmed at times? Life seems to have a strange progression. First, you're busy getting trained, going to school, joining clubs to hone our hobby skills, taking driver's ed, becoming proficient in sports. And from untrained, we go to trained, being able to contribute to society and our families by serving in our trade or profession, driving the family minivan to sports practices and music lessons, helping our kids with our homework. As an adult, you may find that training you worked so hard to learn now makes you indispensable to any number of people who call on you for help. In fact, between home and business and organizations, yes, including church, there's just not quite enough of you to go around. So you fall into bed at night wondering where the day went and why you didn't get to any of your own projects. You've gone from untrained to trained to tired. So many people with demands upon our time, many of them legitimate. So many good causes begging more of our attention. We just feel so overwhelmed. There's not time to do it all justice. What happened to those lofty purposes we were charmed by when we were growing up? How come our pet projects never seem to get the attention needed? Something else always comes up and sidetracks us. In today's scripture reading, we see our Lord Jesus deal with a sudden surge in popularity at the outset of his miraculous ministry. What is it that helps him discern how to say no to some people in order that he might say yes to others? Speaking of being overwhelmed, a father was watching his young son try to dislodge a heavy stone. The boy couldn't budge it. Are you sure you are using all your strength? the father asked. Yes, I am, said the exasperated boy. No, you're not, the father replied. You haven't asked me to help you. When we pray, we tap into that far greater power that is beyond ourselves. Next section, powers, popularity. We're continuing on in Mark 1 from where we left off last week. Jesus was teaching with astonishing authority at the synagogue in Capernaum and cast an unclean spirit out of a man, causing much amazement by onlookers at both his teaching and the deliverance. We kept, pick up the account at Mark 1, 29-31. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Yes, surprising as it may be to some, the Apostle Peter was married and apparently had his mother-in-law living at his home. She may have been a widow at this point. She may have been seriously ill. She was too sick to get out of bed, and Luke in 4.38 describes it as a high fever so it may even have been life-threatening. But Jesus takes her by the hand, a little detail suggesting his tenderness, helps her up, and the fever is gone. In fact, she's so much better instantly that there's no convalescence needed. She immediately starts thinking, now, what can we have for dinner? And begins to prepare a meal, or otherwise serve them. The Greek word diakoneo 
is the one from which we get deacon, meaning to minister or serve or attend to someone's needs. A pattern in miniature for the Christian life. We are saved to serve. Well, it's hard to keep such sensational news under wraps. Word somehow gets around town, and once the Sabbath day is over, the sun sets, people are allowed to carry things around again, including stretchers. Verses 32 to 34. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Christ's power brings overwhelming popularity. Note Mark's superlatives. The people brought all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. So much for a quiet Sabbath evening after giving it all while you were preaching. Nevertheless, Jesus tends to their needs, healing many, driving out evil spirits. They knew who he was. Their theology was absolutely orthodox. They just chose to reject God. Jesus evidently did not want their testimony, so did not let the demons speak. Perhaps they would have spouted wrong ideas about what his messiahship was like. Robertson comments, Testimony from such a source was not calculated to help the cause of Christ with the people. Later, Peter would rebuke Jesus for talk of suffering and dying as integral to the role of being the Messiah. Peter no doubt was aware of the prevalent hope that the Messiah would kick out the Roman overlords and restore Judea to Jewish control. But Jesus wanted to show them his messiahship worked at a different level than the political one. Physical healing was associated with being Messiah, as the Old Testament prophets foretold the Christ would bring healing. In the day when God saves, according to Isaiah 35.5, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Dr. Randolph C. Bird, a cardiologist, created a stir in medical circles when he had volunteers pray daily for one group of patients in the coronary care unit at San Francisco General Medical Center. A second group of heart disease patients served as a control group. Although neither the patients nor their doctors knew whom was being prayed for, those in the prayed-for group were five times less likely to require antibiotics and were less likely to need ventilators to help them breathe. Bird concluded, The evidence strongly suggests faith in God truly is linked to a long, healthy life. There is power in prayer. Next section, Prayer's Perspective. Well, isn't that just the greatest kickoff one could ask for to launch a successful ministry? A great sermon coupled with a miraculous deliverance at worship, followed by countless healing miracles later that same day. It seems things are lining right up for Jesus to become a household word in the whole region. But right here, something strange happens. He abandons it all. It's like he walks off the platform just as the main event is about to get underway. 
what could become an overwhelming field of opportunity is nipped in the bud. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He did not get so sunk in the demands and the busyness, even if people had needs that were legitimate. They were really sick, you know. He did not become so submerged by people's needs that he neglected to take time to check in with his Heavenly Father. We see here the spiritual discipline of prayer requires at least three things. A time, a place, and a deliberate choice or a willing. First, a time. It says, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Mark's wording indicates some time in the watch from 3 to 6 a.m., before it was fully light, before the crowds could find them like they had the night before. Find the time that works best for you. For me, like many others, first thing in the morning is, is ideal, before the demands of the day come rushing in. Ideally, right after my daily Bible reading, so I can reflect on what I hear the Lord emphasizing for me at that moment in Scripture. So it's a being together and listening to His heart, rather than just me presenting a grocery list of requests. Prayer requires a place. It says, a solitary place, NRSV, deserted, and LT, isolated. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about going into your inner room and shutting the door, rather than out on the street corner for people to see, Matthew 6, 6. A private place where it can be just you and him. John Wesley's mother, having many children, used to sit on a chair and throw her apron over her head to create that place away. If it helps to turn your phone to silent, do it. And prayer benefits from a deliberate choice, a willing. Note the verbs. Jesus got up, left the house, went off. It's just not going to happen unless you deliberately make it happen. In case you haven't heard, to paraphrase a popular evangelical phrase from years back and for spiritual laws, God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. Experiment a bit. Try different times and places until you find out what works best for you, what you can repeat until it becomes a habit, as unthinking as breathing. Set yourself up for success in the spiritual disciplines department. Enlist some allies. Recruit your family members to help you protect that one corner of your existence that's so important and essential. Prayer changes things. Sometimes the thing that prayer needs to change most is us. Often the significant contact occurs when we quiet the chatter of our soul enough to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Nick Thomas found himself at the age of 47 unemployed and under tremendous financial pressure. Though he had had a successful career in the Air Force and the insurance business, some reversals had set him back and left him with no place to go. His wife Liz made their situation a matter of prayer. She was in church one morning praying about their dilemma when she thought she could almost hear the words, Make the mustard. Make the mustard? Her family had a mustard recipe from Russia, and every Christmas she made gift jars of mustard for her friends. Nick and Liz decided to listen to the voice. 
she prepared a substantial amount of mustard. I packaged it and then called on a local cheese shop. The manager tasted it and immediately bought out their inventory. Within three months, they had cracked the highly competitive New York major deli market. Because the Thomases committed their troubles to prayer and looked expectantly to God for guidance, he gave them direction. Next section. Purposeful Priority. From power to prayer to purpose. Christ's power worked wonderful healings and deliverance, pulling him into a potential whirlpool of popularity that could have consumed his whole life. But he deliberately made a point of praying to seek his father's direction. That helped him refocus back on his original purpose. Verses 36 to 39. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, do you feel the pressure in those words? Everyone is looking for you. We can't turn back now. We've got a good thing going. Can't you just feel the inertia building? Let's grab this spinning flywheel and hang on for the ride. Now, that might have been the easy thing to do, even the practical thing to do, but it's not what Jesus was called to do. At least, not right there, right then. The good news of the kingdom of God was draw him, drawing him further afield. To the surprise of his disciples, who probably would have been only too happy to stay and hang around their hometown all their career, Jesus turned around and said no to everyone. He discerned the Father was calling him to travel around on a preaching tour of Galilee to the nearby villages. Josephus, the ancient historian, tells us around that time Galilee was densely populated with some 240 towns and villages. We hear Jesus' sense of purpose in his words. So I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Mark adds that he traveled around the area preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So preaching was key, sharing the good news about God's kingdom and how to enter it. Jesus was more than just a great physician. He wanted people to repent and find restoration in their souls and their relationships, to get back on track loving God and loving their neighbor, to experience divine grace and extend that grace to others who are indebted to them to cast off old resentments and discover freedom from bitterness and hatred, to build a new people of God, agents to bring the Lord's new birth and leadership into lives everywhere, to multiply sons and daughters of God, displaying his glorious image. It was about far more than just physical healing. That's great as far as it goes, but it can turn into a what's-in-it-for-me approach to religion seeing signs and wonders as sort of uh, spiritual entertainment, rather than allowing our own lives to become aligned with God's direction. Preaching, proclaiming the message, is an essential piece of the program. In the Great Commission, we're charged to be baptized and teaching others to obey what Christ commanded, Matthew 28, 19. 
when our church distributes food boxes. There are scripture passages included, so it's not just material food, but pointing them to the ultimate giver. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about church membership based to some extent on the book I Am a Church Member by Tom Rayner, an evangelical church consultant. Our elder board gave support for me to look into an outreach program developed by Tom Rayner and associates called Pray and Go. I'll share more in coming weeks, but basically the idea is church members spending some time praying in front of people's homes, discreetly, leaving door hangers that say on the front side, we prayed for you, and on the back side, we love our community, so we're praying for our community. Then some contact information. No high-pressure door knocking, just a polite note letting them know we care about them and are praying for them. It's a voluntary program, but I challenge you to consider it. Is there a handful of homes you're aware of so far as you know, don't already have a church affiliation and you'd be willing to pray for? And our elders and prayer team would be praying for you as you go out to pray for others nearby. Here's a short four-minute overview of what Praying Go is about, and I'll be back with a short closing story. I am so grateful for Praying Go. If you've never heard of Praying Go, it works like this. It's a very simple concept. You get volunteer church members to go into the community, to go into the neighborhoods. They stop in front of a home, not at the home, but in front of a home. And when they do so, they pray for that home and they leave a door hanger that says, we pray for you. Just as simple as that. And yet it has been profound in the response that we have seen. We've heard of numbers of people where they said so many people in the neighborhood call and say, thank you for praying for us. So they email many of them visit the church and a number of them have become followers of Christ. And so when we began to see the results and how God was using pray and go, we were totally and completely excited. Then COVID hit and we said, well, this is going to come to a standstill because of stay at home or because of quarantine, because of issues where you're not going to get people out. But you know what? Many churches found out that COVID and pray and go actually can work well together. You don't have to come in contact with someone. You don't have to have uh, uh, an encounter with someone. You just pray and leave the door hanger there. And so now we're seeing COVID and pray and go actually become synergistic in the sense that churches are using pray and go more during COVID and during this time than they did even before. And so it again has demonstrated to us how God is honoring the faithfulness of those who will go and pray or pray and go. And we, we get all kinds of questions. One of the questions is this, uh, do you need to wear a mask when you go? Well, of course, that's up to what you're doing in your community and what you feel like the community standards are. Uh, some, some ask questions about social distance. Well, most of the time, you're not even talking to someone, so that is not an issue. Some, some people have asked us, well, what if someone invites us in just randomly? We've recommended, and many churches have taken the recommendation, that they don't go in that they just say, no, we're going to honor what has taken place. And, and uh, we, just, we just want you to know that we're praying for you. Just something simple as that. So more people now are engaging with Pray and Go during COVID and even in this post-quarantine era than they did before. And that is exciting. But I got, I got, to, I got to read you just one example. This was, this was an email from, a, from someone, a pastor, who was using pray and go. And I'm just going to read it verbatim. So forgive me for reading. So I'll be looking down a bit, but he said this, he said, during our 30 hour famine, 
famine, one of our projects fell through. So I'm, I'm thinking that uh, he was going through some type of fasting thing. So he said, so I called an audible and took our youth group for a pray and go outing. I was shocked to find they loved it and they wanted to go again. Forget about them being leaders of tomorrow. They are leading today. You got to love that. Many houses were prayed over and a door hanger left them, uh, left them two months of our small groups of adults doing it. In other words, they did more than two months of small groups that were doing it before then. So in one night, they did as much as all the adults have been doing over two months. The frosting on the cake was later my most fearful senior citizen shared a cool story about doing her first house that week. I think pray and go during the pandemic is a powerful statement to our community and I pray it reaches the hearts for Christ. What a great testimony. What a great, great word from a pastor that's actually using pray and go during the pandemic and during this time when we're taking extra caution. I'm totally blessed. I love what God is doing through pray and go. I love the, the, the testimonies that we're getting back again and again. And I love the fact that God has taken something that is really a, a, a tragedy for many people, COVID, and yet in the midst of all of this, he's still reaching people with his gospel, with his message, and we're still seeing great results. So I just wanted to tell you about this great information about Pray and Go. I wanted to share with you that God has continued to use it. And really, it's just obedience to two things. We should be praying and we should be going. It's my prayer that Pray and Go becomes a blessing to tens and even hundreds of thousands more people in the days ahead. I hope you'll consider and be praying about whether you would be a part of this Pray and Go outreach. There are many things we can't do as a church during COVID-19 lockdown, but praying at a distance is something we can do. We've been talking about Jesus praying and through that discerning God's purpose for his next steps. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us, helps us hear what's on the Father's heart opens us to let the Holy Spirit shape our lives to be more like God's Son. I was in Akela, that's a cub leader in Boy Scouts, for quite a few years. Part of that's building cub cars, cub cars out of blocks of wood. When Gilbert was eight years old, he joined the Cub Scouts. He had only been a member a short time, and during one of his first meetings, he was handed a sheet of paper, a block of wood, and four little tires and told to return home and give it all to dad. Well, that was not an easy task for Gilbert to do. There was no dad for Gilbert at home. So the block of wood remained untouched for weeks. Finally, mom stepped in to help figure it all out. The project began. Having no carpentry skills, she simply read the directions and let Gilbert do the work, and he did. They read the measurements, the rules of what could and could not be done. Within days, his block of wood turned into a pine wood derby car. A little lopsided, but it looked good, to Mum at least. Gilbert hadn't seen anyone else's car, so he was feeling pretty proud of Blue Lightning. Finally, it was the big night. With Blue Lightning in his hand and pride in his heart, he and his mum headed to the race. Once there, it was obvious that Gilbert's car was the only one made entirely on his own. All the other cars were father-son partnerships with cool paint jobs and sleek body styles designed for speed. A few of the kids laughed when they saw his crude vehicle. Gilbert was the only boy there without a man at his side. 
The race was a process of elimination. You kept racing as long as you were a winner. In the final run, it was Blue Lightning in the sleekest, fastest-looking car. As the final race was about to begin, it was interrupted. Gilbert asked if he could pray. The race stopped. With wrinkled brow, clutching his derby car, Gilbert was on his knees praying to his Father in Heaven for a very long minute and a half. Then he stood up, smiled, and announced, Okay, I'm ready. The crowd cheered. The other boy stood with his father while Gilbert stood with his Heavenly Father in his heart. Gilbert watched his block of wood swoosh down the ramp with surprising speed to cross the finish line a fraction of a second before the other car. Gilbert leaped into the air with a loud, Thank you! And the crowd roared in approval. The scoutmaster, with microphone in hand, asked Gilbert, So you prayed to win, huh, Gilbert? To which he answered, Oh, no, sir, that wouldn't be fair. I just asked God to make it so I don't cry when I lose. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the power to heal and deliver you showed in Jesus' life. Thank you even more for his message, his preaching, giving us your instructions on how to be carved into his likeness, how to come to experience your hand guiding and directing and comforting in our lives. As Jesus went on to other towns, help us also carry this marvelous message to others near us who need so badly to hear it and discover you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.